0: Hello and welcome to Guest Star from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The United States Treasury Department presents Guest Star with Harry Sosnick and the Savings Bonds Orchestra, yours truly, John Conte, and starring Lionel Paramore. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is John Conti, your host for Guest Star, a transcribed feature for savings bonds, presented as a contribution of this station in the public interest. The sure way to provide for your future security is to save regularly. Sign up for the payroll savings plan where you work for the systematic investment in safe, sure United States savings bonds. And now it is my pleasure to introduce our famous guest. The distinguished and beloved star of radio and motion pictures, Mr. Lionel Barrymore. He appears in D.H. Johnson's story of a great American document, the Gettysburg Address. Historians disagree about how and when the Gettysburg Address was written, but here is how it might have occurred Lionel Barrymore as Abraham Lincoln in The Man from Cemetery Ridge. <laughs> This is the 18th of November, 1863, and in the hills of Pennsylvania, a train is traveling northward. Its cars draped with flags and filled with men in the blue of the Union Army. In the last car of the train, in a private compartment, are two civilians. One is Abraham Lincoln. His eyes shadowed and his face lined deep by the strain of the long, sad war. The other younger man is John Hayes, Lincoln's friend and secretary. And now, as Lincoln watches the autumn hills move past the car window, John Hayes says,
1: You're quiet, Mr. President.
2: I'm thinking, John. I'm afraid I'm going to cut a mighty sorry figure up there at Gettysburg
1: tomorrow. Now, Mr. President, Oh No,
2: no getting around it, John. After Mr. Everett makes his speech, I'm going to look like... Well, as we used to say back home, like a hamstrung horse with a heel. (laughs) Have you read what Mr. Edwards going to say?
1: No, sir, but I know that he sent you a copy of his speech. And I got Not it right, right
2: here in my hat. a beautiful piece of writing.
1: Well, why shouldn't it be, sir? They gave him three months to write it, and you, they told you two weeks ago as an afterthought. A message to Congress to prepare a war going on, your son's sick.
2: Well, I'm afraid I couldn't have done this well, John, as I've been going downhill with the wind behind me. Let me read you a little of it. Oration to be delivered by the Honorable Edward Everett is the dedication of the National Soldier Cemetery at Getsburg. where does he gets started? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And here it is. Overlooking these broad fields, now reposing from the labors of the waning year, the mighty allegheny dimly towering before us, the graves of our brethren beneath our feet, it is with hesitation... That I raise my poor voice to break the eloquent silence of God and nature. Yeah. Now, John, that is magnificent
1: language. I'll grant that, Mr. President. Edward Everett is the greatest orator alive. Uh, how long will his speech run, do you think? Oh, about two hours, I reckon.
2: Yeah. And then they'll call on me for the actual dedication. I'll make some stumbling, inane remarks.
1: Mr. President... Well,
2: that's what folks usually say about my speaking, John. And they'll have more cause than ever after hearing Miss
1: Everett. Well, it doesn't matter what
2: they say. Well, it doesn't matter to me, and not to you. Maybe it will to some of the people who'll be there at Gettysburg, John. Mothers and fathers and wives of the men who died for the Union. Hee-hee. When they hear me, they'll lose a little more faith in what we're fighting for. If I could only say just the right thing, Tom.
1: May I make a suggestion, Mr. President? Yes? Mm-hmm. Uh, how about describing the battle? I, I mean, as it might have seemed to a soldier who took part in it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Reckon that's a little like asking a pig to recite poetry, John. How can I know how a battle appears to a soldier? My few weeks in the Black Hawk War. Well,
1: you might talk to someone who was there, sir. Mm-hmm. The trains full of soldiers, Mr. President. There must be some who were at Gettysburg. I'll go through the train and find someone and send him in. Oh, by the way, sir. Yeah. I forgot. I have a letter for you in my dispatch case. I'll bring it in when I return. Ah, uh-huh.
2: very well, John.
3: Yeah. Come in. Private Williams reporting, Mr. President. Reporting for what, son? I was asked to tell you about Gettysburg, sir.
2: Oh, oh, yeah, of course. John Hayes. Uh, Hold on. Aren't you Tom Williams?
3: Yes, sir. From
2: back home from Springfield.
3: I didn't think you'd remember me, sir.
2: (laughs) Remember you? Tom, how could I forget the noisiest boy in Springfield? The way you used to run up and down front of my house dragging a stick on a picket fence and yelling outside my law office when I was trying to study up
3: on the case. <laughs> I'm mighty sorry I used to bother you, Mr. President. I reckon i just like noise.
2: <laughs> a boy's not a boy unless he does, Tom. And here you've grown up into a soldier. Well, if you were at Gettysburg, you, you must have got enough noise there.
3: Oh, well, it was mighty noisy, sir. An awful quiet, too.
2: Noisy and quiet.
3: Part of the time it was like being in a terrible storm with cannon for thunder and muskets for rain. And then it was so quiet you could hear the blood pounding in your ears. Tell me about it, Tom. Well, the first quiet time was the morning of the third day. My company was behind the stone wall there on Cemetery Ridge, and the Rebs was over on the next ridge about a mile away. We could see they were getting ready for something, but hours and hours went by and it didn't happen. And it got quieter and quieter and... And scarier like Scarier? I never told nobody but you, sir, but... I was mighty scared. Takes a brave man to admit that. Then, about noon, the artillery opened up and it got good and noisy again and I wasn't scared no more for a while. Then the rebs started their advance and the guns stopped. They couldn't fire because they'd hit their own men and... We was waiting for them to get closer. Fifteen thousand of marching across the valley and not a sound. And... That's when I got awful scared. Fear dying? No, sir. It's, well, it ain't a right thing for a soldier to say to the president, sir, but what scared me was thinking about them Rebs. There they was marching right into death, and they knowed it, and they didn't even break step. You gotta believe something to do that. You gotta think it's right. They're
2: brave men, Tom, and they do think they're right.
3: Yes, sir. But what scared me was thinking maybe they are right all through that quiet that kept getting louder and louder in my head. Maybe I was on the wrong side. Maybe that wave of men coming up on me was something there was no use fighting against. Maybe what they stood for was right. I see. Then the firing started, and I didn't have time to think. And I got over being scared because everything was so noisy again. Then I got shot.
2: Bad, Tom?
3: Musket ball in the throat, sir. I fell down and all the noise stopped. It was terrible quieting. Quieter than I'd ever known it could be. But that time I wasn't scared. Because, you see, sir, I, I reckoned I was dying. And then the whole thing comes clear to me like a great light. I wasn't on the wrong side. Them fellows that started this country back in 1776 started something that was meant to be. It's worth fighting to keep, it's worth dying for. If the fellas that don't die keep care of it after you're gone. It's, it's got to keep on going because it's right.
2: What happened then,
3: Tom? Well, that's about all, sir. They come and pick me up and took me away. I... I've got to go, sir.
2: Well, well, goodbye, Tom. It's been good talking to you. I'll write your mother and tell her that I saw you.
3: You'd need him, Mr. President. Mother knows where I am. I'll
1: see you again, sir. Mr. President, I'm sorry. I went through the whole train, but there's no one aboard who saw action at Gettysburg.
2: What did you say, John?
1: I said there's no one on the train who was in the battle, sir. But there
2: was one. Oh, Tom Williams was...
1: What was that, sir?
2: Nothing, John. nothing, nothing, nothing. Is that the letter you told me about?
1: Oh, oh yes, sir. It's postmarked Springfield. Shall I read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: If you will, I All
1: right. Yeah. It's from a Mrs. Williams. It says, uh, dear Mr. Lincoln, as an old friend and neighbor, I know you will share my grief at the news that has reached me. My son Tom gave his life at Gettysburg, July third. His company was at Cemetery Ridge when... Don't, no, don't read that, John.
3: I, I
2: know, I know what it says. Yes, sir.
3: I was asked to tell you about Gettysburg, sir. And... I know
2: something else, John. I know just what I'm going to say tomorrow. The whole thing has come clear to me like, like a great light. forth upon this continent, a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. It's
1: worth fighting to keep.
2: Now we're engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can run in war. It's worth dying for The fellows
1: that don't die keep care of it after
2: we are met on a great battlefield of that war. We've come to dedicate a portion of it to the final resting place for those who gave their lives that that nation might live. Thank you, Mr.
0: Barrymore. That was a magnificent performance.
2: It was a magnificent story, Rod, and a great honor for me to be invited to play in it. And it is a special pleasure to appear on this program, which has done so much to promote thrift to the American people. I'm a strong believer in savings bonds, you know.
0: You're in good company, Mr. Barrymore. Forty-three million of your fellow Americans own savings bonds right now.
2: And I guess we can all take a bow for our good judgment. Because savings bonds are one of the world's finest investments. They not only provide an ideal way to save, but they keep your dollars absolutely safe. Even if your bonds should be stolen or destroyed, you, you can have them replaced without cost.
0: That's right, Mr. Barrymore. And savings bonds are convenient to buy, too. Especially if you use the automatic payroll savings plan where you work or the bond a month plan where you bank. Either way, your saving is done for you. You save before you spend.
2: Remember, friends, that when you invest in United States savings bonds, you're providing for your own and your family's security in years to come. And at the same time, you're investing in the future of the greatest country on Earth. So let me urge you to buy savings bonds. Now and
0: regularly. Thank you. Thanks again, Lionel Barrymore, for being our guest. Wow. You have been listening to Guest Star, a transcribed feature for United States Savings Funds, which today featured Lionel Barrymore as Abraham Lincoln in The Man from Cemetery Ridge. The time for this program is donated by this station every week in the public interest. The Treasury Department thanks your station and Mr. Barrymore for their contribution to the Savings Fund program. The supporting players today were Paul Richards and Gil Stratton, Jr., Rod O'Connor was narrator, and the play was directed by Lewis Graff. Next week, we'll have another famous guest with music by Harry Sosnick and the Savings Bonds Orchestra, and we hope you'll be on hand. Meanwhile, this is John Carty saying so long and reminding you that savings today means security tomorrow. Join the payroll savings plan where you work for regular investment in the United States savings bonds.